Okay, we continue our worship. I think Don's going to speak about Psalm 42. Don. Well, good morning. So a couple of weeks ago when I preached, I told you that I was going to be sharing, uh, speaking through the Psalms during the course of this year. And uh, one of the things that Psalms do is they incorporate different prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of praise, prayers of lament, even prayers of doubt. And through these Psalms, we are welcomed into a conversation with God who welcomes all of our expressions and prayers. And if you were to open up your pew Bible or if you go home today and, and you were to take a look at the Psalms, each one of them, the editors have put in a little introduction. And for Psalm 42, they call this a Psalm of longing for God and his help in distress. And these introductions were not written by the psalmist, but they were placed in by the editors that help us if we're going through a difficult time in our life, that we can look and just read that beginning line in the Psalms and maybe read that Psalm and that might help you in your life. So let's read Psalm 42 and then another scripture from um, the Gospels. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God, with loud shouts, glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me, and they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my God and my help. And then from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, Why are you ar what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It, is, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you're able, 
all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him, and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, he came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and was able to stand. When he had entered the, the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind can only come out through prayer. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. But What If We're Wrong is a book by Chuck Klosterman. And the premise of the book wonders about our current state of knowledge. He wonders whether some of our deepest held beliefs and assumptions are right. Whether someday they will be proven to be incorrect. But what if we're wrong is a reasonable question to ask because we know that human history is filled with surprising discoveries that challenge commonly held beliefs. When Copernicus challenged that the sun did not revolve around the earth, but that the earth revolved around the sun, it seemed absurd. And later when Galileo endorsed it, he was thrown in jail. When Columbus sailed to the New World, he challenged the common assumption that the world was flat. When William Wilberforce stood before the English Parliament and suggested that no person should ever be considered the property of another and that the slave trade should be abolished, he was maligned by a large portion of his countrymen and churchmen for proposing something so preposterous. Vincent van Gogh died a rather obscure artist and 50 years later was considered one of the greatest post-impressionist painters of his time. Emily Dickinson died without a single poem of hers being published, and now she shares the shelves with some of the greatest poets of all time. But what if we're wrong, Klosterman asks. What if we're wrong about the treatment of disease? What if we're wrong about a political issue? What if we're wrong about the theories of the universe? What if Rick is wrong about how well Duke basketball is going to do in the NCAA tournament? What if we're wrong is not an easy question to ask, is it? Especially of ourselves. Who wants to think that they are wrong? I'm not sure if it's because I'm Presbyterian or American or just simply from New Jersey, but I like debate and argument. I think it's important to talk things out, to defend your position to death, to be certain. And to be certain means that you cannot entertain the possibility that you might be wrong. Doubting doesn't work very well in our world, does it? Or does it? What if I'm wrong? What if you are wrong? You know, it's not the question that you want to hear in church. Church is where we come to be certain. It's where we recite our creeds and we read from Scripture and we give praise to God with every desire to find those practices and timeless truths about reality. We want to know what sticks, what's unchanging, what we can hold on to. That's only part of what the church is. Because while we gather in this great effort to tether ourselves to some anchor of reality, the truth is that we bring with us not only our desire for certainty, 
but also our struggles with doubt. The church is the community of faith and of doubt. You can't be human unless you have a little bit of faith and a little bit of doubt. And I suppose that's what we see when Jesus came upon this father and the son, this boy who is convulsed with all these issues going on, and it renders him a danger, at least to himself. And he's got this father whose heart is breaking for his son, wondering if anything can ever cure him. And Jesus of Nazareth appears. He's got this reputation of healing. And nobody seems to know what to do with this father and son. Nothing seems to be working, but the father decides to give it one more try. Why not see if Jesus can do something? If you are able to do anything, the father says. If I'm able. I'm not sure if Jesus says this with a sigh or frustration or a bit of a smile. If Jesus were from New Jersey, he might say, are you talking to me? All things can be done for those who believe. And then perhaps comes the most honest response in the New Testament. The Father says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but then again I don't. I believe, but life has beaten me down. I'm certain. But if I'm honest, I've got a few doubts. Lord, I want to be a person of faith, but I've got these huge questions. I love this, Dad. There's something about the honesty of this Father that leaves room in each one of our souls for a little bit of doubt. We hear it in the lines of the psalmist. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Life is filled with those circumstances that make us wonder how much of what I believe in is really true. How much can I count on God? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong about my cherished beliefs? What if I'm wrong about a position I've taken? What if I'm wrong about a person who taunts me? What if I'm wrong about some issue in the world? What if I'm wrong? C.S. Lewis, after losing the love of his life, wrote a book called The Grief Observed. And he chronicles in this book his descent into grief and all the questions that plagued him. And as with that psalmist and the honest father, he writes, Where is God? When you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, happy that you're tempted to feel his claim upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, oh, you will be, or so it feels, welcome with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain, and what do you find? A door in your face. The sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. You may as well turn away. 
The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It may as well be an empty house. What can all this mean? Why is God so present in good times and almost seemingly absent in our times of trouble? It's a question that if we're honest with ourselves, we each have somewhere in our souls. Every church, if it's honest with itself, has somewhere within its walls seasons and places of doubt. And those aren't fun because they shake our sense of certainty. And what we all want to be is certain. But even more so, they point us to what we don't want to hear about. And that is our insecurity. You know, there's nothing like doubt to make us feel a little bit insecure. And yet if there's anything that we have in common with each other, it's our insecurity, the chance that each one of us might not be right. If there's anything that joins us together as a community is that we are a community of faith. We're not a community of indisputable truth. We may be on the journey to a place that is ultimate and real, but with that comes all sorts of questions and comments and propositions and second thoughts and debates. But the one thing we all hold in common is our insecurity, our lack of having all the answers. I sometimes feel that if ever there should be a marketing campaign for First Pres, is that we should tell people that we don't have all the answers. But we're on a constant search for the ways of God. We are on a journey in our faith. We do recite the creeds and we read from our scriptures and we praise God, but that still leaves all sorts of room for us to wonder and to act together and to doubt together and to lament together. Because the more that I am in touch with my own doubt, the more sensitive that I am to yours. The less sold I am on my certainties, the more chance I give for myself to listen to yours. Think back to those many arguments that you've had with family or friends. How much do you remember what the other person said? It's most likely because you weren't hearing the other person, but rather preparing what you were going to say back to that person. There's a story about an electrical workers union going on strike and management wanted to keep costs low and workers were fighting for safety. And back and forth, the two sides went until the mediator realized that nobody was listening to each other. And he stopped all the yelling and he instituted a new rule. Each party would need to repeat back to the other what their concern was before making another comment. The management was first to go and they expressed the concern of cost overruns on the project, which Labor heard and responded that they understood the financial concern. And then Labor replied with the concern of attaching live wires in a flooded basement. And when management heard it for the first time and repeated it, the negotiations were able to move forward. Lord, what if I'm wrong? Lord, I believe, but all, the truth is that there are still some things that I'm not sure about. And it's this not sure part of my life, the grief, the questions, the insecurity, the fear, the uncertainties. 
where I'll be most open to the life and thoughts and the wonder of another. I wonder if that's what Jesus was getting at when he said, judge not, or else you will be judged. That the thing he was pointing out to you and me was our insecurity. Sometimes judgment comes from insecurity. If I judge another, I don't have to deal with myself. If I don't judge myself, then I don't have to understand myself. If I don't understand myself, I can convince myself into thinking that I can understand everyone else's story better than my own. Jesus asked, how can you remove the splinter in your friend's eye when you have a two-by-four in yours? The best doubt you may ever have, Jesus says, is of yourself. What if I'm wrong? We began the season of Lent this past Wednesday, and I shared on Wednesday that the church sets this time aside for a sobering time of self-examination and, and repentance. Maybe what we need to do most is enter into a time of examining our own selves. Maybe there's someone you've done something wrong to and you need to go and ask forgiveness. Maybe there's a position that you've taken that you need to rethink. Maybe there's a doubt standing in your way of trusting God and you really need to lay that before God. Because the truth is that none of us is perfectly right. We all have places where we're wrong. But we do have a God who welcomes our insecurities and our doubts and our questions. And as the psalmist says in conclusion of the Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Amen.